Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me is Steve Chu to boldly go into Star Trek Picard, Stardust City Rag. Steve, how you doing tonight? Doing great. Always happy to talk Star Trek. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, buddy. Well, no matter how bad our days are at work, whether it's complex discovery, a deposition, or just navigating document review. Neither one of us have had as rough a day as each of did um, at the beginning flashback of this episode. I, I think that is very fair to say. Poor each my God, yeah. Uh, so, for, you know, I, it's like, oh, that's what happened to the kid from Voyager. That's a bummer. But let's talk about what was happening to him. Oh, yeah. Torture. Definitely torture. The fact the doctor said something creepy to him that he was missing his, was it, cortical node? Yeah, and, and he was missing it because he actually donated it to Seven during an episode of Voyager when Seven was glitching. So that's, it was sort of a callback to that. Yeah, so because of what she said, I think that turns that medical procedure into torture because yeah. there are other things that it is as well. But I, because of that taunting nature, I think it makes it specifically torture. It's also definitely mayhem because we don't have a crime of mutilation, but it's mayhem, which is California penal code 203 that states it's uh, unlawful to do any of the following. And subset four specifically is putting out a person's eye. Mayhem. Yeah. And it, this, it also calls back to, you know, almost the urban legends, but um, organ harvesting. Mm -hmm. uh, don't, uh, don't, don't go off with people you don't know and wonder what happened if you suddenly awaken in a hotel room with, in a bunch of ice in a tub and you're missing a kidney or something like that. Um, yeah, the, we learn here in this episode that Borg implants have tremendous value on the secondary market. Um, Borg drones that are liberated from the collective are few and far between, which probably raises their value, each uh, being one of the few that was liberated because of course these organ har harvesters or these Borg implant harvesters, they probably don't want to be going up against the Borg collective. Uh, you know, they know that that's probably a little hazardous to their health. So they're tracking down former Borg drones. Um, you know, the, the first scene, just speaking as a fan for a moment, uh, it, you know, it, it's horrifying because you see this very graphic torture, like an eye being removed. And, you're, you know, I think that's one of the most graphic scenes I've ever seen in Star Trek. Uh, we see yeah, some, probably. yeah, we, we definitely see some blood and gore in some other episodes. But this is shocking because it just right off the bat. And also, at least for me, I didn't know who it was being tortured at the beginning. We think it's just torture. It turns out it is, you know, they're just trying to remove his um, Borg implants without any anesthetic or anything like that. But I didn't know who it was until she called him by name. And at that point, you know, as a fan, I'm just crying out to the TV like, oh, my God, no. Because Echeb was such a decent, good kid growing up on the Starship Voyager. 
and it harkened back for me, my Ichab memory moment was the episode where Chakotay is jumping back and forth in time and at one point goes to the future and sees an older uh, Ichab and Naomi Wildman manning the transporter. And he's there for just the briefest of moments. And Ichab says, Commander Chakotay, I never did tell Neelix where you hid those bottles. Uh, and we see earlier in that episode, Chakotay had, pro- had asked the younger Ichab to please not tell anyone where you hid the bottles. And it's just one of those really nice moments. Um, you know, you see the decency, the honesty in Ichab. Someone who you think would have a tr- very promising future uh, just cut short by these ruthless, uh, you know, Borg drone harvesters. It, it also raises an interesting question about the abandonment of humanity by those doing the harvesting. And, you know, it was supposed to be the noble 24th century, seeing those who just have zero regard for the life of the reclaimed and uh, just very creepy, very weird. And I don't know if that's because of how destructive the Borg are, that they're willing to ignore their humanity, or if there's something else in play of just people are evil. Uh, Whatever it is, it was a highly disturbing scene. Uh, I don't think that's uh, in line with what Gene Roddenberry initially wanted. Uh, But here we are. And uh, it's a great example of mayhem. Yeah, definitely the darker elements of humanity, which I think are effectively explored in some powerful storylines. But, you know, when we find the person who, you know, Bejazel, who's behind all this, um, she's living in free cloud, which seems to be not the most lawful of settlements, sort of a Las Vegas, anything goes type of Wild West frontier area. So I, I agree this doesn't fit with um, Roddenberry's vision of a perfect humanity where we all sort of get along and don't do these bad things. But one could also argue that, well, this isn't, you know, the Federation. It isn't Starfleet. This, these are people that are living on the fringes. Yeah, not surprising that in the 24th century, we still have people like that, right? Yeah, yeah and you know, maybe we always will. Uh, it does raise... Um, wonderful issues with uh, the dangers of Tranya, um, since that does make an appearance in this uh, episode. I don't know if you caught that, the, the you know, pouring a glass of Tranya. Yeah. Um, a nice callback to the original series. Yeah, way back. And, um, you know, which then, you know, it's drugging someone and then taking them, that is kidnapping. So, yeah. You know, we have the all the elements of kidnapping met for Bruce Maddox. Uh, now, the rescue mission to go get him. Now, one could think, you know, it, this turns into a heist movie. You know, there are elements of fraud, but, you know, it's a lawless place to begin with. Right. So everything, you know, when you say like, oh, what they're doing is fraudulent, it's like, well, it's to save somebody who's been kidnapped. That it of itself is an illegal act you know uh what so again that's that's just different and weird yeah it means uh, you know the end justifies the means at that at that point um i mean what one could argue it, it's not they're not breaking any severe laws at this point they're just posing and trying to set up a deal uh and it turns out that seven has her own agenda you know that is revenge 
Um, so, you know, Seven, who essentially, you know, she has this interesting discussion and you know, we're, we're getting back to this next point about her being a vigilante uh, and the Fenris Rangers and you know, how legal are they? Uh, you know, as we know, and we've talked about this, um, Josh, in some conventions, many superheroes in the superhero paradigm, many of them would really, you know, qualify or be legally classified as vigilantes. They're typically not deputized law enforcement. Uh, and by that, you know, that means that the same rules don't apply to them. They can operate outside the law. You know, if Batman beats down a, a criminal or, you know, a suspect, that suspect can't really turn around and sue him for a violation of constitutional rights because Batman is not an agent of the state. Batman is just some guy who has decided he wants to enforce the law in his own way. Uh, you know, so Seven seems to be kind of doing that as well, serving as judge, jury, and executioner, as Picard says. And is that legal, you know? Yeah, it's, it's beyond like what the Texas Rangers did. You know, it's because there's no element of due process. It's just going out there. Now, granted, Seven did have, you know, a, you know, a nice put down for Picard for, you know, you can't just give up, which right. he did <laughs> acknowledge. Yeah. Picard's getting a lot of grief for walking away from the game. Yeah, because, like, maybe he alone could have made things better if he hadn't just, you know, let uh, Perfect become the enemy of good. And that's a great saying, but yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, okay, you know, there, there is a time to resign. Uh, but, you know, I think his resignation was more like throwing a fit. <laughs> that, that made uh, things worse. And interestingly, um, that, I'll just jump off for just a moment, but in the novelization, The Last Best Hope, I just finished that audiobook, which is outstanding and really, I think, a must-read or must-listen however you want to consume that um, very good prequel to the Picard series. And to my surprise, I wasn't sure how they were going to handle this, but they actually describe the scene. They take you through the scene where Picard goes into the leadership, the Starfleet CNC and tenders his resignation. Um, I don't want to spoil it for people, uh, but it doesn't go exactly the way I had expected. Uh, Clancy is there. She's not CNC at the time. But at that point, you know, Picard's still just trying to save the Romulan rescue mission. And it's clear that the will for the mission has expired at that point following the attack on Utopia Planitia. So Picard does his darndest and he's expecting some resistance when he offers his resignation. But uh, it doesn't really have, it doesn't go the way he expects. That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Picard had a little hubris himself there, thinking he was you know, bigger than Starfleet. Yeah, well, when you're used to success and saving the universe many times, uh, I could see that happening. You know, you know, he was able to deal with Q and others. So, yes, that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, now, this does raise interesting questions about the Fenris Rangers that I was thinking about with, you know, is this just a free area, not under any, I mean, so it's after the neutral zone collapsed. So I get the lava side of it. But um, 
like what law are they trying to impose or is it just trying to impose order through standing up to bullies right you know there uh there's a judge uh, in santa clara county and uh the judge's wife is actually on the court of appeals and their son um uh, was a captain in the Marines, and he, he was killed in Afghanistan. Uh, and at the, I, I went to the funeral, and they read from his application to law school because uh, he discussed the importance of the rule of law requires, you know, the courts working and, you know, police. Like, you need both. You can't have, you know, civil society without uh, a justice system that has the courts in it and those willing to go out and uphold the law. And it, um, and again, I'm, I'm not reading any quotes from it, uh, but it was very inspiring because, you know, he saw firsthand in Iraq and Afghanistan what happens when you don't have the rule of law. And, you know, he did his part to help bring stability uh, to those places. And it made a big impact on him and he wanted to go to law school and be a public defender. And what happened to him was extremely tragic. Uh, with that, you know, we're seeing this in, you know, in Picard where you have government collapse and the Romulan Star Empire was no great place to be a part of because yeah. of, you know, uh, while they were reforming, you know, it was problematic still. But when you look at uh, what filled the vacuum, that's not good. Right. And it's interesting if, you know, if Quark has a franchise now or if he moved on from Deep Space Nine since, uh, you know, we see a Quark's bar flashing in the background. Yes. And a Mr. Mott's barbershop, too. Interesting. Yeah. He, he survived the crash of the Enterprise D in generations. Mm -hmm. Good for him. Yeah. So, yeah, nice little deep cuts. Well, now let's get to the one of the more gruesome parts of this, and that's the murder <laughs> of Bruce Oh, you know, to ju just to close the loop on the Fenris Rangers, you know, the law typically frowns on vigilantes. You know, as you mentioned, it, the law recognizes the importance of having a civil police force versus the military. And the law heavily discourages the use of vigilantism. Uh, vigilantes can be arrested because they essentially are criminals. And, you know, they're not supposed to take the law into their own hands. You know, probably the most comfortable way to make that work is to deputize them. And, you know, we saw examples of that in the Wild West where there was maybe only one law, law person in town, but they were going up against superior forces and they would get friends and deputize them. They had that power. And then uh, when they were deputized, um, they, you know, we, we see that kind of um, happening today as well. You know, different law enforcement organizations can cross uh, deputize um, uh, so, you know, that was a way to kind of expand forces, expand authority, and everyone would then be acting under the color of the law and have at least some limited uh, law enforcement powers. 
So the Fenris Rangers, you know, you can make a compelling argument, of course, justifying them, which is in the absence of law and order, someone's got to step up to keep the peace. And the, there either are no authorities or just no one's getting it done. We don't really know yet. You know, we, we have to learn more about this. This seems to be one of the general themes of in Picard, which is uh, Picard's return to the game, if you will, is uh, brought on by this vacuum, this absence. Uh, Starfleet seems to have become more isolationist. They're not out there policing or being the you know, universe's police power. And the Romulan Star Empire has fallen, so in its place, in its power vacuum, you've got a lot of warlords and people fighting for power. And the average person is kind of left caught in between. And from what we can gather so far, the Fenris Rangers have stepped in to try to act as um, you know, protector of the little guy, uh, similar to other civilian organizations throughout history. You know, people argue that the Black Panthers did that for their community um, you know, at, at times. Um, so, I mean, who are the Fenris Rangers? How many are there? Do they have their own command structure, a chain of command? A lot of questions there, you know, how organized are they? I think we need a lot more details before we can figure out, well, are they some sort of legal organization? You know, could they be considered some sort of law enforcement? Uh, we don't know, but I think Seven would have some difficulty because of what she ultimately does with Michazel. Uh, she executes her without so much as a trial and you know true as a fan of course who feels justified given what Vijayzel did to each head but uh, you know typically law enforcement you're not supposed to kill someone when you've got them uh, at your mercy so I think Seven would be in a little bit of trouble just not only that the fact that a Starfleet officer was kidnapped tortured and killed she could be prosecuted by the Federation. Absolutely. All of that. So it's not like there isn't a law enforcement option for her. Uh, so what she did, and I don't know if they, you know, they kind of imply the jaded lover, you know, yes. theme on top of it. Uh, so, you know, it is deeply personal. Uh, but yeah, Seven totally murders her. <laughs> And that, and that brings up an interesting point, and I guess I'd have to rewatch it again, but at no point do I remember anyone suggesting, hey, let's arrest her and turn her over to the authorities. They never really say that. Uh, you know, Rios just says, hey, look, you found her once and you'll find her again, so let's turn her loose. There's no thought of, why don't we arrest her, throw her in whatever brig we have, and just turn her over to some starbase for murdering a, a Federation officer. Have we come so far down the road of lawlessness that People don't even consider turning folks over to the authorities to be an option anymore. Who knows? Yeah, it's just very weird because, again, if if a U.S. service person, if a lieutenant in the Navy was mutilated and died, we would want that the perpetrator's head on a pike. <laughs> we would... Like we would not mess around. Oh, and, yeah, people, people would be furious, of course. Yeah, and and maybe that's a SEAL Team Six, you know, a, you know, inter interdiction of just putting down the bad guy. But, right. uh, but you know, like Seven's not a state actor. Right. Exactly. 
So just it, highly problematic. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I don't know if they purposely are working in more of like a Star Wars theme that everything's broken. Yeah, or if they're I just, or, or if they're trying to show, like, you know, what's happening within, you know, the world today is problematic instead. Um, but this does look like Vegas on steroids. Yes. Yeah. Not the safest place to be. No. And annoying pop-up ads. Mm. <laughs> no pop-up blockers for some reason, apparently. Yeah, that yeah. was a little intense. Well, let's talk about what happens to Bruce and then what we now know about Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> you called it, by the way, on Agnes. Yeah, uh, I don't think I'm fully right, though, because well, let's talk about this. So put it out there. Agnes murdered Bruce, Mac Bruce Maddox. Yeah. She abused the medical treatment facility that they had and killed them with it. Yeah. And deactivated the EMH that tried to stop her. And she clearly had agency. It wasn't like she was operating under a Vulcan mind mill. And she said something about like atonement and yes. um, what she had seen. So yes. this sounds like an issue of free will. Mm hmm Yeah. Okay. That's not good. I mean, like I said, that, that screams she's a murderer. Yeah. One wonders what's going on. Uh, she, she, yeah, it doesn't look like she's being controlled. You know, it doesn't look like she's doing a Manchurian candidate type of thing. Uh, she just says, you know, I, um, you know, I've seen something horrible. I wish I hadn't seen this, or I wish I didn't know this. Uh, and then she kills him. Uh, so it seems that she's saying she has to atone for her part in this, her part being apparently the um, assistance she gave to Bruce Maddox in creating this artificial life. And at this point, we, I mean, there's a couple of assumptions in here. One would be that they're talking about the, uh, units uh, that you know, revolted on Mars and attacked Utopia Planitia. Are we talking about those synthetic life forms? Or are we talking about something else? Are we talking about his creation of Dodge and Soji? And Soji apparently has you know, been called the destroyer, you know, the bringer, the har harbinger of death or whatnot, you know, the end of all things. Uh, if we look, there is one possible theory out there that would tie a lot of things together, uh, you know, that, and that is that the AI that Bruce Maddox has created could eventually become what is known in Star Trek Discovery as control. And that they, you know, that he creates this, what becomes a, malevol a malevolent, uh, almost undefeatable um, AI. And maybe that is what the Romulans are trying to stop and Commodore O are trying to stop as well. So, I mean, that would flip the script a little bit and kind of make them the good guys, right? Um, don't know, you know, a lot of interesting questions. Yeah, but if it's, does that require a cover up? And you could just say like, hey, we know from over a hundred years ago that this could go badly, so. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, it started with a cover up, right? And discovery when they so, when they learn about all that, they covered up. Yeah, so that's a little problematic. Um, a lot of ways it could go, but she seemed to have agency. So. Yes, mens rea is there. Yeah. Mens rea is there, and her State body. Of mind. Yeah. yeah, her body language completely changes while Picard was talking to Maddox. Yeah. Yes, she hears things he's saying. Uh, I don't think that her criminal defense attorney could successfully argue that this was a mercy killing or anything like that, because Maddox appears to be on the mend at the time. And she's not putting him out of his misery. No, she's affirmatively trying to end his life. So. Yeah. Yep, yep. And you know, the only thing that might help her with an insanity defense is the EMH, like questioning her um, psychotic state or mental yeah. state or whatever, um, recognizing she was going through some episode. Yes, that's true. So maybe okay. maybe there's a door to get out of this mess. You could try um, that angle. I don't know if it would stick. <laughs> yeah, she's she looks pretty guilty. Yeah, and, uh, and I don't know if her contract was renewed for season two, so that too could play a factor. Ah, uh, yeah. Now we're reading outside of the uh, canon a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the other other ways to figure out what's going right, on. Right, right. Um, yeah, highly problematic. Yeah, that'd be murder. <laughs> so I would say so. The third major death in this episode. We start off with Icha. Mm -hmm. Later we get Bajazel. And at the very end, we get Bruce Maddox. I have to say, I was not surprised by the death of Maddox. Although, of mm -hmm. course, my fan side of me was kind of calling out, like, stop him, you know, mm -hmm. stop her. Let's save Maddox. He could be a good ally as we get to Soji. But during the conversation between Maddox and Picard, Maddox gives Picard the pieces he needs to move, you know, to move uh, down the chessboard. So at that point, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of people can look at that and realize, oh, Maddox is toast. Okay. He served his purpose. He doesn't have to live. Yeah, but it's also weird to kill him after he spilled his guts. Because <laughs> it's not like she stopped the information from getting to Picard. True. That's true. Yeah. So why kill him now? Is he is he going to do more? Or, you know? It's peculiar. I, I, it's 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 an odd play. Yeah. Um, now we haven't talked about Raffi being a drug addict. You know, full on conspiracy person who Correct. chased off her son. Yeah. And it's it looked like. Now, granted, Romulans and Vulcans look alike, but the behavior of his wife made her look Vulcan. Yes. So, Although I think she smiled some. Did she smile? So I thought she did. I was okay. watching for that. thought she smiled. So she could be Romulan or perhaps like Savic, half Romulan, I suppose. It would make sense if, well, at least Romulans are also kind of reserved. So if you had mom who was drug addict and off the deep end with crazy conspiracies theories that drove you bonkers as a kid marrying a woman who either didn't exhibit emotions <laughs> or was very very reserved with them does make sense on yeah true uh, he didn't have his his edible complex was the exact opposite of his yeah, mom right sad but 
you know, I'll say about this again, uh, my, um, my consumption of the material or my impressions are colored by the fact that uh, I have, you know, listened to the audiobook for The Last Best Hope because in that, the story really talks about the sacrifices that Rafi had to make to go on this mission. One of them being that she left her family behind and that starts falling apart uh, very clearly during that story. And you realize she's lost her family either during the mission or as is alluded to by Gabe in their conversation um, in this episode, it appears that more damage was done afterwards when she bought into this conspiracy theory behind the Mars attack, the Conclave of Eight. You know, what is this Conclave of Eight? Will we learn more? Hopefully we will. It, you know, what's interesting for me on these conspiracy stories, which I find to always be interesting, you know, how conspiracies are portrayed in various media, movies, television shows or whatnot, but let's just say for a moment that Rafi ends up being vindicated. And we're talking about a very long game vindication because she's probably been into this conspiracy for a good 13 or 14 years now and has driven away her family. Um, and so some people probably have labeled her one of those tinfoil sort of, you know, conspiracy chasers, sees conspiracies everywhere. But what if she is proven to be correct at some point and everyone else is wrong? It, you know, I'm thinking that that would, could be a moment of redemption for Rafi if we ever get there. But even if we do, I still don't think that would mend her relationship with her family. You know, because her family could say, well, maybe you were right, but you still chased that down so far that you pushed us away. Um, so that was still more important to you than we were. And you weren't there for us. And your one chance to be there for us is gone. So I don't know. It's, uh, you know, Rafi becomes a bit of a tragic character. You know, she's a bit of an addict and uh, very much alone when Picard sees her, you know, comes to see her in the desert. She's definitely someone who is haunted. And this is one of her big demons is the fact that she's no longer in her son's life. She doesn't even know that son, you know, uh, son is having a boy or a girl or anything like that. Yeah, so adding angst and also being a stowaway. So, yeah, and you know, as a parent, too, um, looking at this from the lens of being a parent, when she meets the wife, and then the wife asks, uh, Oh, will you be staying? and she starts to get excited, like, Oh, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to be a part of your lives. And then Gabe shuts that down really quick and says, No, she's leaving. Uh, I mean, oh, how heartbreaking is that? You know. Very painful to see. Yeah, not letting crazy back into my life. And, yeah, uh, you could certainly understand Gabe's point of view. Yeah. Yep. Um, and very tragic. But we're probably going to need her on the board cube. So I think so. She's very resourceful. Yeah. So we'll see what we get this Thursday. <laughs> so absolutely, looking forward to it. Excellent. So again, lots of good stuff in this episode of Picard and uh, a lot of things that really aren't debatable. It's like, yep, that's a good example of mayhem. That's absolute two big examples of murder. <laughs> so <laughs> all bad. So yeah, it's, it's a rough, brave new world in this episode of Picard. Yeah. Uh, R, R, I would say R.I.P.E. Cheb. 
And uh, Seven is certainly not the person we remember anymore. Yeah, and she didn't end up with Chakotay, so. Doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. Unless he's part of the Fenris Rangers. Who knows? You know, it wouldn't surprise me if former Maquis were in charge of. Right. Yeah, he was high up in the Maquis. Yeah. Yeah, I would not be surprised. Right. So. Alrighty. Well, with that, everyone, uh, thank you for tuning in. Please leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we do have our Patreon with some additional content, so please check that out. And everyone, stay geeky. Stay geeky, America. <laughs>